Welcome to the Why They Are So Angry podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Francois, a proud baby boomer with over 30 years experience as an educator and learning leader. And I'm Courtney Square, your resident first generation millennial. Join us as we present an unvarnished look at systemic racism in America throughout history and up to modern times. We invite you to pull up a chair, put in your earbuds, and allow us to enlighten, educate, and explore the real reasons why Black African Americans are so angry. Because until you know the whole history, it isn't American history at all. We're back, Courtney, and ready to do part two of systemic racism in American healthcare. And given that we're smack in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, this episode couldn't be more timely. You are right, Aunt Carol. The coronavirus pandemic has reached all around the world. And as of late, it's shown that no one is immune. But sadly, Black African-Americans find themselves in a high-risk group when it comes to covid But with today's subject matter, we'll be able to reveal that although a vaccine may be coming, why many Black African Americans may not be ready or willing to take that vaccine. That is so right. That is so right. But before we go any further, I have a question for you. Were you aware several of America's most prestigious teaching and research hospitals are located near or in low-income neighborhoods where lots of Black Americans and people of color live? I had an idea, because on the surface, it sounds great. You'd have access to world-class healthcare. But as I did a little bit more digging on the subject, a lot of medical schools, especially in the South, made sure they were close to free Black settlements, slave graveyards, and in the North, Black free neighborhoods for access to patients, but not in the way we would think for experimentation and grave robbing purposes. You are right, my dear niece. Historically, these teaching and research hospitals were located close to low-income neighborhoods and sometimes, like you said, close to graveyards so as to have easy access to subjects for experimentation. What we find is that marginalized populations and even the dead who had little protections from unscrupulous doctors and scientists were victimized. So in our first episode, we explored the terrible legacy of the eugenics movement that led to the forced sterilization of thousands of Black African-Americans as late as the 60s and 70s. Today, we're going to delve into the bleak history of medical and scientific experimentation. Yes, and these cases are truly scarier than fiction. Now, the most well-known cases are probably the Tuskegee experiment in which uh, several doctors let Black African-American men die of syphilis. And the case of Henrietta Lacks, a poor Black African-American woman whose cancer cells scientists and drug companies used for decades without her permission or any compensation to her family. Now, listeners are probably familiar with the 1947 Nuremberg trials when the prosecution of Nazi doctors led to the Nuremberg Code. Now, that's a set of international rules to protect human test subjects. Unfortunately, though, many U.S. doctors essentially ignored those codes and argued that they applied to Nazi atrocities, not to American medicine. 
That's right, Ann Carol. In the late 40s and 50s, we saw a huge growth in the United States pharmaceutical and healthcare industries, accompanied by a boom in experimentation on prisoners that was founded by both the government and corporations. By the 60s, at least half of the states allowed prisoners to be used as medical guinea pigs. So it's begin against this backdrop that we jump into our topic today, which will also illuminate why Black African Americans are reticent about participating in clinical drug trials and medical experiments of any kind, even though their participation is crucial to understanding how to develop life-saving drugs and treatments like the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, that being said, I suspect that you, my dear niece, have a story or two about this sordid history of using Black African-Americans for medical and scientific experimentation. I do. And this story, as most of my stories, does come with a trigger warning. There will be an explanation of wounds and uh, medical treatment. So if something like that does bother you, I suggest that you may, you know, warn younger, younger historians that this might be a little rough. And if it makes you queasy, I completely understand. But it's a story that has to be told. Well, thanks for that warning, because I now that I've heard it, I'm just going to get ready. Well, as a comic book fan, and you know that I love comic books and most people in my inner circle do, I'm no stranger to the weird and wonderful and sometimes disastrous results that come along with medical experimentation, exposure to radiation, mysterious serums, smokes, and quick cures. Mm -hmm. From Peter Parker Spider-Man and his fateful encounter with a radioactive spider to the mild manner Bruce Banner, who after being exposed to gamma radiation became the Hulk at the at a flick of his temper. The Joker, who was the famous Batman villain, fell into a vat of chemicals at the Ace Chemical Company. Captain America, along with several others, which a lot of people may not know, there are Black soldiers in the Marvel Universe who were experimented on first before Captain America with disastrous results. But even Captain America was experimented on with his super soldier serum. And I didn't most, know that. I did not know that. Yes. And there's a whole comic book series about it. One day we'll do an episode on comics. Even the most famous mutant from the X-Men, Wolverine, was singled out as a minority mutant for his healing factor and subjected to horrific experimentation by the Weapon X program based on the fact that he would heal differently than humans. But at least he got to be Wolverine and be an X-Men. But in the story I have to share today, uh, there wouldn't be an exchange like that. Oh, boy. Well, I'm sad to hear that. At least the superheroes had a trade-off to being a superhero. Exactly. But for five-year-old Veritas Wellburn Hartman, that would not be the case. Veritas was born in Lyle Station, Indiana. And a little history on Lyle Station. It was purchased by two brothers, the Lyles brothers, two free African-American men. The town quickly grew. It became a stop on the Underground Railroad, helping slaves find freedom. And after the Civil War, Lyle Station became one of the first free Black settlements which quickly thrived. It had stores and churches, services, uh, and also a school. And by 1927, though, 
where our story starts, Laurel Station was on a decline. And but the citizens made a bet the best of where they lived. They were free black people and they were proud of the town they were in. Now, Veritas, like I said, he was five years old and there was a ringworm outbreak in the school. Oh, boy. Child after child became infected and Veritas himself really stayed immune because he wasn't enrolled in school yet. But the parents were very worried about what they were going to do. Now, it just so happens around Veritas being a precocious five-year-old, the ringworm outbreak, the county hospital obtained new radiation equipment, and they didn't know what to do with it. Hmm. Hmm. Now, those three things really don't coincide in the same world, usually. A hospital with new equipment kids getting ringworm and a five-year-old at home, but sadly, these paths will cross. Now, I'm sure the parents thought it was a godsend when the school superintendent himself came to each home of each Black child for the Loud Station School and said, we heard about the outbreak. The hospital has a brand new innovative treatment to give to your children for free to permanently keep them from getting ringworm. All you have to do is sign this permission slip. Well, well, we've known from the past that signing on the dotted line doesn't usually bode well in these stories. It really, really does not. Now, the date was set and the children were placed on a school bus without any parental uh, accompaniment. They were taken to the county hospital for this miracle cure. And Veritas in an interview recounted that one by one, two nurses would take the children into a room and then lead them back out. Now, when it was his turn, he sat on the table and he noticed that the two nurses were hiding behind a screen. Now, if you've ever had an x-ray, you know why, and they put you in a lead suit. But Veritas wasn't in a lead suit. He just was sitting as he was told. He Mm. heard a buzz. He remembered a sharp stab of pain in his head. And one of the nurses saying, oh, my God, you gave him too much. Oh, boy. Not the words you want to hear at the doctor's office and certainly not the words you want to hear when someone's using an X-ray machine. I can't imagine what the bad news is going to be. So. Right here, I think we need to take a break and a breather. Okay, we're back. But before you finish, Courtney, I want to remind our listeners that if they want to take a deeper dive into understanding systemic racism in America, they can go to our website, www.whyaretheysoangry.com for more information. And you can take our course, systemic racism. See it, say it, confront it. And of course, if you like our podcast, please subscribe, leave a comment, and consider giving us a five-star rating. All right, I'm taking a deep breath. Let's go. What was Little Virtus's fate? Well, I'm sure you know by now that there was no ringworm cure because kids still get ringworm. These children's parents were lied to and their children were unknowingly experimented on with radiation with the sole purpose of seeing how much the human body could withstand. 
It started with headaches. It started and dizziness and pain. It was like sticking my hand in a fire and leaving it there. And that was a quote from Veritas at 84 years old, describing that every single day from the day that happened was the pain that he experienced. Mm, 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 mm. Now, Veritas and the many other children had been given so much radiation that their skulls began to break apart. His was so porous that he actually, for the rest of his life, had an actual hole in his head. You boy. Ugh. The wound was so severe that the dura matter, the actual matter that covers your brain, was exposed to the elements. Hmm. He would take hours each day, his mother at first, and then him when he got older, wrapping his head in bandages. Because if he didn't, it would be exposed to the elements. And even on the hottest days as a child, his mother would make him wear a wool cap. Now, mm. when he got older as a teenager, he started to wear wigs, but he was teased and he suffered emotionally and mentally from just shame and embarrassment. And it wasn't even his fault. It wasn't even his fault. Now, as most young men do, Veritas did try to find love. He fell in love with a young lady by the name of Marguerite at his church, but he felt that he was so much of a monster that he rejected her because he didn't think that she could love him if she ever saw his wounds. Oh, this is heartbreaking. Ugh. Now, at 18, Veritas heard the call, go west, young man. So he packed up his things and he left Indiana behind. Now, he moved to California and found work at the local hospital. It was a county hospital, which is kind of shocking because that's where his story began. Mm -hmm. But Veritas became a valued worker. He worked for 40 years at the county hospital with perfect attendance. Even with the wound in his head? Even with the wound in his head. And once he retired, he got a second job for 20 more years and still didn't miss a day. He owned 28 rental properties and three other businesses. Now, he was still teased and he still experienced pain. But the one place Veritas said that he found solace and peace was his church. And he quickly joined the church choir. Now, he was constantly teased, he would say, as the old man in church with the wig on, but he didn't care. He loved the church and he loved the people. And he made a very, very good friendship with author Wilbert Smith. Now, William will admit that just like many other church members, he did tease Veritas about his wigs, but their friendship taught him more about himself. He began to admire Veritas's work ethic and his positive and outlook on life and just general joy for people. Wilbur as an author decided to do a series of interview with, interviews with his friend to find out what was the secret of his joy. At that time, Veritas faced a choice. Was he gonna tell the truth about his wounds? And this is a quote from Wilbur. He said, I remember the day he exposed his wounds to me, which, by the way, I would imagine after knowing him for 17 years, this was going to be an amazing day for him and I. Now, then I saw it under the wig and I wondered how could he endure this pain every day? 
I wanted to feel his anger. I wanted to know how is he carrying this burden of what was done to him throughout his life? And how was he so able, so, so able and well to hide it from me? Oh, I can feel that anger. I can imagine someone that a friend like that would be terribly angry. Now, Wilbert would go on to recount in his book uh, about Veritas. It's called Hole in the Head, A Life Revealed, that he challenged his friend. Why aren't you angry? Why aren't you bitter? Be upset. And I agree. I would be furiously upset. He said that Veritas would reply, when I'm angry, my heart is not right. I can't help people and my prayers aren't answered. Mm, What a big heart. He had a huge heart. I think maybe even bigger than Superman, possibly. Mm. Now, Wilbur finished the book and a subsequent documentary sharing Veritas' story. Now, Veritas passed away at 85, but just like a true superhero, his legacy lives on. You see, Veritas was a very shrewd and smart businessman. And upon his death, he was able to bequeath $8 million to his church and various other organizations that promoted education and job training for underprivileged and African-American youth. Oh, this is amazing. Now, if you want to know more, I've only scratched the surface. If you want to know more about Veritas's story, please go to the website, holeinthehead.com to get a book and find out where you can see the film. So I guess I have to take back what I said at the beginning of the story. I think Virtus is a true life superhero in Carol. I have to agree with you, Courtney. In spite of his situation, Virtus had a hero's heart and superhuman strength to have endured such abuse. It's hard to believe horrors like this could be perpetrated on anyone. It truly is. And I wish I could say it was an isolated incident. But there's another gentleman whose story that I implore people to look into by the name of Eb Cade. He was in a car accident only to be taken to the hospital to be treated like a lab rat and being in, and been in, be injected with plutonium. But that's another story for another time. My goodness, plutonium. That's outrageous. You go to the hospital, get help for injuries, and then end up being a lab experiment? Boy, ew, wow. Well, fortunately, Courtney, there have been some efforts to address these types of wrongs and try to prevent them in the future. For example, in 2011, during President Obama's administration, a presidential bioethics commission took on just such issues. I understand that commission was triggered by the government's apology for federal doctors infecting prisoners and mental patients in Guatemala with syphilis 65 years ago. Indeed, that is exactly why. But sadly, the recent trend has been to do this kind of experimentation in poor, underdeveloped countries like Guatemala, where government oversight is not strict. However, my dear niece, U.S. officials also acknowledged at that gathering that there have been numerous similar experiments in the United States, studies that often involved making healthy people sick. So what's being done to counteract this abuse of power? Well, after reports about abuses of prisoners, patients in mental institutions, and other unwilling or unknowing subjects, 
Universities and the scientific research communities have drawn up policies and laws and governance bodies, such as institutional review boards. Now, these boards are made up of a small group of rep representatives from the institution that would like to carry out the experiment and a non-scientific community representative. They decide whether an experiment is ethical and should go ahead. Now, besides creating these review boards, is anything else going on to address this issue? Well, there's quite a bit. One in particular that caught my attention uh, was written about in 2016. David Love wrote in the Atlanta Black Star about efforts Tuskegee University undertook in this area. Hmm. Is this the Tuskegee University, the one where the infamous decades-long syphilis experiment was conducted? Oh, well, the very one. Uh, but here's the good news. Tuskegee partnered with the pharmaceutical giant Eli Lilly and Company to study Black African-American participation in clinical trials. Now, the partnership included applied science, education, and community engagement programs. The ultimate goal of the project is to reestablish trust between the African-American community and the medical research establishment. Well, it seems like they'll need some major help overcoming that history. You bet they will. They enlisted support from the NAACP, the African-American Health Professions Organization, and faith-based groups. Now, I haven't been able to find out any results of their work, but like you said, because of the long years of distrust between Black African-Americans and the research community, that's going to be a tough sell. Very true. And with history showing us that the perpetrators of these experiments are hardly ever seen as criminals and often seen as medical heroes, Black African-Americans' fears are not eased one bit. Not at all. Not at all. So we're at the end of another episode. And... Again, there's still more to know and to learn about this situation, but for now, we're going to call it quits. But tell our listeners what's next on our agenda, Courtney. Well, next on our agenda, we are going to dive into the world of voter suppression and a little bit further down the line, a little bit of land theft. But Ooh. if... If you miss us in between this episode and the next, visit us on Facebook at Why Are They So Angry, Instagram at Why Are They So Angry, Twitter at W-A-T-S-A underscore online and leave us a tweet. And as always, go to whyaretheysoangry.com and sign up for the course, Systemic Racism. See it, say it, confront it. That brings today's episode to a close. We hope you join us next time when we continue providing the answer to the question, why are they so angry? As always, we hope you learn something so you can see it, say it, and confront it.